I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many Many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to uh, talk about a fundraiser we're doing now. Uh, Last year, y'all funded basically the entirety of the Portland Diaper Bank, which provides free diapers to people who are in, you know, financial crisis and whatnot. Um, We're doing that fundraiser again. We're trying to raise $20,000 to fund the Portland Diaper Bank for the year. If you want to donate some cash to them, uh, you can go to GoFundMe, Diaper Need and COVID-19 Response. If you just Google GoFundMe, Diaper Need and COVID-19 Response, it should take you to the fundraiser. You can also find my pinned tweet on my Twitter, at IWriteOK, will take you right there. So Diaper Need and COVID-19 Response on GoFundMe. Thank you all so much. Fuck you! That's the introduction. Just, just fuck you. People who listen and uh, give us an income allow us to, nice to see you too. live a comfortable life. <laughs> Not you, Jamie. Just the audience. There. Just, just the people who support us with their ears. I'm oh, insulting. Yeah. Just oh, out fuck the them. gate. Fuck them. That's right. What are you going to do about it? You know, listen to another podcast. Like there are other podcasts. Like you have other options. Like there's a flooded marketplace of things exactly like what I do that you could just turn to. Ha! I don't think so. And don't investigate otherwise. No, please don't search podcasts on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel like what you just said all could have come out of Dr. Phil's mouth at one point, the second the cameras turn off for his well, show. Well, Jamie, <laughs> the orca is out of the tank um, <laughs> because that is the subject of today's episode. Um, and also your Jamie Loftus, my guest on the show that this He's is, here. which is Behind the Bastards. Yes, it is, it is behind the bastards, and and I'm I'm here. I, I'm mainly here to bring the Dr. Phil ASMR videos this week. Uh, excited's the wrong word. Dreading 
dreading is the right word. I'm dreading that, Jamie. You're going to either really love them or really hate them, and I can't figure out which it's going to be. I, I can't imagine loving them because they involve Dr. Phil. and I think he's going to love them. You know, it's one of those things. Hot take. We, we just did the Dr. Oz episodes, and Dr. Oz also bad obviously he was on this show but you have to respect him because he is a a brilliant doctor like he's a man who for all of the harm he's done by spreading pseudoscience has performed like 5,000 successful open heart surgeries which is an achievement you know and has patented a bunch of useful medical devices and stuff um He's he's a person who's made like bafflingly selfish decisions that I don't respect. But as a person, I have to have some level of respect for the things that he has achieved because he's impressive. Sure. Doctor Phil is just a piece of shit. <laughs> Doctor Phil is just straight up trash. We were uh, we were talking about this off mic. There there was some Doctor Drew drama in Los Angeles this week that actually like for once ended well and online bullying um pers- like persevered and dr drew was like nominated to the los angeles homeless services authority like board and what is okay i don't know dr drew what is what does dr drew do i'm assuming he's a nonsense doctor like all of the other doctors we talk about he may be technically a doctor i'm not totally sure but he i think he's a radio doctor oh that's the best kind of doctor he also mediates uh the reunions of teen mom and teen mom two and 16 and pregnant and causes uh uh damage to lots and lots of young minds all the time he He technically does have he is a, a a doctor i don't know if he's currently licensed but i know him from vh1 yeah in like middle school where he had celebrity rehab with dr drew sex rehab with dr drew celebrity rehab presents sober house and oh that sounds like my nightmare like that sounds that sounds like the hell that i would go to is sober house oh no (laughs) i could have i could have shortened my description and said he's adam carolla's best friend which is also true which is like wait really oh yeah, yeah no yeah, he hosted like a, a famous radio show called Love Line Forever, and Adam Carolla was also on the show, and they're they're close. And so, yeah, he was nominated to serve on the Homeless Authority Board, and uh, it took it only took about a day where like activists just <laughs> bullied him into bullied people into uh, withdrawing the nomination pretty quickly, and he had a few spicy little comments about it. Um, he was like, I can't, like, he basically was like, these online bullies are trying to cancel me for for not being a good doctor and irrelevant for this job. So, you know, sometimes bad doctors fall. I like, I love to see it. Well, that's fascinating. I'm so happy to have learned about Dr. Drew. But today we're talking about Dr. Phil and it's, it's time to get in, get into the, it's time to have us a Philgasm. <laughs> Okay. Um, a McGrawsm. A McGrasm. McGrawsm. A McGrawsm. McGrawgasm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Philip Calvin McGraw was born on September 1st, 1950 in Venita, Oklahoma, about four hours from where I grew up. Uh, his father was Joseph and his mother was Anne Geraldine, or Jerry uh, is what she preferred to go by. He had two older sisters and one younger sister. When he was a kid, his father moved the family down to the oil fields of North Texas, which are about as unpleasant a place as I've ever encountered on this earth. Not a not a good place to just exist 
You don't want to, as a general rule, stay away from oil fields. Um, not nice places. So his his, his kind of like southern desolation is is Phil McGraw's early childhood. Um, which, you know, I, I can tell you from experience what that does to a kid. Uh, and it, 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 it makes you either, um, a, a washout or ambitious and angry. W- one of the two. <laughs> ah. <Love laughs> you either okay. wind up an alcoholic working on an oil derrick, uh, or you do everything possible to escape the, the, the desolate South. Anyway, Phil's going like to take that second one. It. I like where yeah. you went with it. Yeah. I have strong feelings about that part of Texas and that part of Oklahoma. Uh, Phil was a precocious child, and his parents seemed to agree that he basically raised himself. He expressed a hunger for money from a young age, uh, and he was coddled. His mother thought he could do no wrong. Young Phil was the center of attention for everyone but his father, who was himself obsessed with work. The elder McGraw would end up moving the family half a dozen times for the sake of his career. By age 11, Phil was spending summers driving a freight truck owned by his grandfather in Monday, Texas. By age 12, he was flying planes, illegally, without a license, as he traveled with... Yeah. Oh my god, okay. Okay. I mean, the the driving... at age 11, not as uncommon as you might think in certain no. rural parts of the world, still a bit young. Sure. Driving a freight truck is a bit is a bit odd at age 11. Um, that is a shark jump. And then unlic- yeah. driving a plane <laughs> unlicensed. pilot at age 12? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if I, I looked up uh, Dr. Phil Young because sometimes you, it's shocking and you're like, whoa, Dr. Phil used to be hot. Not the case here. But there's a, <laughs> no. there's a, there's a picture of him as a kid and now I'm like, that does look like a kid that would steal a plane. Yeah. It just well, does. It's, he's not even stealing a plane. His dad needs to fly to these mm. desolate airstrips in the middle of nowhere to deliver oil field equipment. And he, he Phil goes with him and flies the plane sometime. My guess is that his dad is just like, I'm taking a nap. You're flying this oil field equipment across Texas. Phil, I trust you. Lay the like, bastard. Okay, Dad. Child <laughs> oh. Dr. Phil looks like adult Chris Cuomo. Whoa, I see it. I see it. Okay, it's it's honestly shocking that he was not a bald baby. No, <laughs> if someone wants to make a comic book, Dr. Phil Child Pilot, um, it's a pretty decent premise. There's, I've I've heard worse. So yeah. This is how Phil spends his childhood um, up until the point when his dad, uh, Joe, turned 40 and decided, apropos of nothing, that he was going to abandon his family and become a psychologist. <laughs> Wait, hold on. We, we truly don't have more info than that. I have not found more info than that. His dad's like, I'm going to become a psychologist you guys can keep doing your thing, you know? Like, that's basically how it's set. And so Joe leaves his wife and three daughters behind. I think they stay in Texas. And he brings Phil with him to Kansas, where the two started a new life together. I don't (laughs) like this. The closeness of father and son here. It sounds like, why is it? Ugh, I hate, because every time we go over stories like this, you're like, it can't be daddy issues. Everything can't be just daddy issues. But But then it always is. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. To, one of the things that's just interesting to me is like the 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 ways in which Dr. Phil and I's early background are similar and then diverge. And this is a big divergence point because when I was okay. a kid, my dad left for like a couple of years um, to work mm-hmm. somewhere else. But it was because we had no money. We were at like the edge of bankruptcy. And the only job he could get was in New York living on a friend's couch and like working at a radio station so he could send back money to us. So he mm-hmm. wasn't like, 
And like, I didn't go with him. He like had to go alone to New York to support the family and stuff. But it, it is right. this weird, grew up in the same area, moved around a bunch when we were little, our dad leaves, you know, but in Phil's case, he goes with his dad and they just abandon all the women. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like Dr. Phil's dad is like, you're my wife now. It's like this, this <laughs> yeah. You're my wife now, boy. My wife pilot. <laughs> Fly the plane, Phil. You're my wife now. <laughs> Dr. Phil, child wife pilot. <laughs> <laughs> the pitch is getting better and better and mm-hmm, better. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sold by the end of the episode. I, I actually just got an email from Netflix and it's a check for $112 million. So we are wow. now contractually obligated to make this show, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I would honestly rather do that more than anything else. That's- I know. That would, that would be a dream. Let's leave this life behind. <laughs> okay, so we're abandoning podcast to do that. <laughs> to do Dr. Phil, child wife pilot, yes. I think that would put a lot of positivity back into the world. So mm-hmm. so they just they just bail. And it's not for it financial reasons. I mean it is. They're they're poor it as is. shit. His dad okay. wants to go to school and is like, I can't take care of this family anymore. Okay. Bye. Is is what it the way it's been described in the articles I've read. Now, maybe Dr. Phil could could give us a more detailed story, but I have not run across it yet. Okay. Yeah. Um most of the info I have on his childhood comes from a Dallas Observer article uh and they explain the whole abandoning of Phil's mom and sisters as a financial move. Okay. Um Phil apparently told the Dallas Observer, "Quote, there just wasn't enough money to do otherwise." So Okay. We can only feed two pe- members of this family. So, girls, you're on your own. Phil and I are going to Kansas. Phil, okay. Yeah. Extremely. Very, very. Sounds like a yeah. really healthy family dynamic so far. You get the feeling he grew up in a healthy environment. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> healthy families are all alike. They allow 12-year-olds to fly planes. That <laughs> that's, is how the famous quote goes. That's, <laughs> that's how Anna Karenina starts. I love that book so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it turns out that's the thesis statement of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. How it did is, you just is. pronounce that, Robert? I don't know. Anna Karenina? What is it? I was going to let it fly. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I think that if had Anna Karenina been a child pilot, maybe she wouldn't have gotten crushed by that train. No, no. And she could have been Dr. Phil's dad's child wife. I actually don't know what happens in that book. I pretended to read it Neither when I was I. like 11. I just uh, stared at every page did. really hard over a course of months. Per the result of a 2006 court case, I am not allowed to read Russian literature. <laughs> so um, in more recent post-fame interviews, Dr. Phil claims those early days with his father were a humbling experience. Quote, we were so poor we couldn't even pay attention, which is... I don't I I think is less a true statement not that I'm saying they weren't poor I think he just said that because he knows it was a pithy thing and he makes his whole living off of like saying stupid Dr. Phil witticisms yes We couldn't even pay attention And I I've, I've heard that a thousand times like I have heard a thousand different people say explain their their uh, origins that way so I don't know fuck you Dr. Phil but be does original it make the moms absolutely lose it I bet it does I absolutely bet it makes the moms lose it Oh um, man, someone when Dr. Phil quips. They love it. Someone on Reddit during the Dr. Oz episode, you know, I noted a couple of times that his his audience and the people that he makes money off of is like middle-aged moms. Um yeah. and that that's a great business because they have all the money. Um or at least control all the money. Like middle-aged moms are are one of the most profitable demographics to get in your corner in the entire world. Right. Um mm-hmm. 
And someone was like, you're being like unfairly negative towards middle-aged moms. I was like, it's just a statement of fact. Like, look in the audience of a Dr. Oz show. Like, it's not 16 to 30-year-olds like men. It's 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 a bunch of moms. Like, my mom loved Dr. Oz. It's that That's who yeah. his audience is. It's not like a negative statement. My mom loves Dr. Phil. No, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think that that's a negative no. uh, statement. So if, if anyone's hearing that, and that's not like what no. they're intending to say. That's just who the audience is. Yeah. It's the target audience. Yeah. It's like saying like men 18 to 35 listen to Joe Rogan. That's not like, I'm not even, it is negative to listen to Joe Rogan, but I'm not being yes. negative when I say that. I'm just accurately describing his audience. Yes. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Fuck you, so, Joe Rogan. <laughs> doctor, I, as someone who was raised by Dr. Phil moms, I, yeah. I am fully, and it's like not, I, but, but I mean, it is the primary demographic. Yeah, uh, at least at the peak. I don't know who's watching Dr. Phil now. No matter your demographic, there's a grifter for you. Look, I've been honest about That's the fact true. that there was a period of time in my life when I liked John McAfee um, before I knew oh. about, you know, the murder and the rape and stuff. Right. Um, oh, like we all we we all have a grifter we're vulnerable to. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You just need to acknowledge it. And in the case yeah. of middle aged suburban moms, it's Dr. Phil and Dr. Ross. <laughs> like, Mine was I think the grifter yeah. that really that got me was Lou Pearlman, who made all the boy bands that made me more. Oh, yes. yeah. oh my God. I mean, one of my fa- not my favorite, but one of the most legendary uh, Incredible. bastards. Absolutely it, amazing person. Like uh, Mr. Uh, Blimp we, himself. Uh, no without any sort of joking like a a genius um just just has a genius in terms of knowing exactly what a specific age group of people want right it doesn't mean that we were like not smart but we were clearly targeted by by yes yeah yeah we all have a thing we're we're vulnerable to um Mm -hmm. anyway we're we're getting off topic um which is fine because it pads the runtime and that's what i do as a grifter is i pan the Mm runtime in order to make more money off of you fucking sorry um okay (laughs) uh shameful so yeah the details that dr phil gives about his childhood like he he gives that kind of pithy we were so poor we couldn't even pay attention quote but in the interview with dallas observer the details he actually gives make it seem like uh the issue for phil was less a matter of crushing poverty like i think they were kind of poor but i think they were like my kind of poor like which was not crushing poverty it was not you're malnourished it's just there's no money for anything but the basics you know but the basics are absolutely breaking even yeah 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 but you're not like you're not like in 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 absolute destitution you know like not to exaggerate it but like you're poor like that's kind of what i think is 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 really happening and part of why i think that is because his real complaint about that time in his life is that he couldn't buy any cool shit um quote okay from the Dallas Observer, it didn't help that he was fiercely competitive, he says, and he lacked the clothes and the car to compete for girls. So I think mm-hmm. that's more the big thing for him, right? Like, okay. you're not that poor. You just don't have enough money to impress girls with possessions. Um, right. OK. That's, yeah, I, I, I get that level of poverty. Yes. Yeah. I think most of us had more or less that level of poverty where like, yeah. you know, especially like I, I I was like one of the poorer kids in a school that was not poor. So there were kids in my school who drove BMWs um, and oh. like I had a beat to shit Ford Taurus. 
Um, I'm not complaining. Had like Taurus? I had a Ford Taurus. Like I'm not <gasps> complaining. I had a car, but like you see the you see the kids whose like parents are rich, and you're like, ah, shit. I feel so poor because they have like a brand new Jaguar. That that's I think the kind of poor he is. Yeah, or or, or school is like the kid with the Ford Taurus was like, oh my god. <laughs> He has a car. What a cool boy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just for my senior year. But yes, I did. I did eventually get a car. Um, so thankfully, the young Dr. Phil was huge, uh, quickly crossing six feet. He's a massive man. If you've ever like seen him next to normal sized people, he's a very large person. I forget that. But yes. Yeah. Is he like six feet? Four, he's five, like he's like yeah that? he's like an inch or two taller than me and i think quite a bit broader like he's a big motherfucker but uh, but most of that's mustache robert most of that a lot must- of it's mustache yeah. now but when he was younger he was in good shape and he was he was very like muscular and as a result of how big and strong he was he was a shoe in for the high school's football team Classic. he later recalled quote i was phil the jock and that was my currency and by currency he means that's how he got girls right he didn't have the yeah. car he didn't have but he was able to like get girls because he had you know he was he was on the football team. He was tall. He was tall. He was and he was apparently quite good at football. Uh, in Phil's senior year, his father moved to Wichita Falls to start his psychology practice. Not yet a doctor. Phil spent his entire senior year living alone. He didn't go with his dad this time. He supported himself and he played football because he he was like he, he there was a period of time where he might have made it into the NFL. So he didn't want to leave his high wow. school and like disrupt that. Um, he said, quote, it wasn't what you were supposed to do, but I was pretty independent. Interesting. College scouts had started eyeing him pretty early on and he had it seems like he had a real chance of getting at least picked to play college ball um he did get picked to play college ball his dad had gone to the university of tulsa on a football scholarship Mm. and in short order phil was picked by scouts for the same college so he gets a college scholarship to the university of tulsa he becomes the captain of the freshman football team and Mm -hmm. he says he was very good a lot of articles you'll say were very good we're going to talk about this in a little bit because his team at least was shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like right. not just not just a bad, not just like not good in the year, but like one of the all time least successful college football teams in the history of college football. No, yeah, I'm trying to think of other. There's that is like such a like celebrity that grows to be evil. I feel like that is a pattern of like I I could have been a big sport. Ball yeah, that person, was his Hitler's art school, out. right? Yeah, right, right, right. That like, and you just know that's parties. He doesn't let people forget it. Like, sh- uh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm looking up celebrities who played high school sports. Matthew McConaughey. It just seems All like right. not making it big in uh, right. college sports can yeah. is potentially right. a villainous origin story. I mean, I never had any. Ch- I was on the high school. I did like. Sorry, I did one year of um, football in junior high. I never had any uh, chance of 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 going pro, and I didn't like football. There was a period of time where I might have been able to like do 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 well at fencing um i did i was in like a special Ooh. pro i was pretty i was pretty good at fencing um That's at cool. pay. but no i i got bored eventually um, i love that for you i could see that for you I yeah i, I mean take it back up if yeah, you're really tall it helps yeah but never like never never at the college level or anything so I, I ran track in junior high but then i threw up one time and i quit permanently and to this yeah. day i do not, not run, run. I was nope. captain of the varsity basketball team, and I'm really, really short. Holy so shit! I had so, no. So I'm the most athletic of our bunch. <laughs> Sophie like is the most successful athlete in 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 this call. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Send pics. Yeah. Oh, 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 there are. That's great. There are pics, Jamie. I will personally send them to you. 
<laughs> you know, I will say, having watched the video of that guy shot putting a fucking uh, uh, bobcat, I I think that should be an that Olympic sport. That was the sport. most amazing thing I've seen in such a long that time. That was that was that. Uh, th- you know what that was is the greatest example of like quality husbanding that I think I've seen on Twitter. Like, <laughs> oh my that's, god, that's 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 a that's a you did you did good, man. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Like that's. That's that's wholesome masculinity right there is shot putting a wild cat away from your wife. <laughs> Wait, that's so what a hero. Well, and it's also, you know, it's not going to do any damage to the cat. Now, he did get out his gun to shoot the cat, but it charged back at the family. And I feel at that point, the cat had chosen violence. You know, he gave he gave the animal a chance to end the interaction. <laughs> thank you for that uh that Mm -hmm. fine forensic analysis that's that's my that's my opinion on the by now weeks old video of a guy hawking a bobcat across a yard to be fair he shows violence yeah the cat shows violence that's my that's my end statement here so um yeah anyway dr phil a lot of interviews you'll see he was very very good could have maybe could have gone pro um I don't know how accurate that is. I'm not great at football, but I found an incredible analysis on the sports website Grantland about a game that he played in, that his freshman football team played in, that is like one of the most famous games in college ball history because of how badly his team did. Um, Yeah. Uh, Grantland calls it one of the craziest games in NCAA history. Uh, For starters, the bulk of Phil's team were like actively dying of the flu while they played. Quote, an especially virulent strain of flu had been cavorting through the Tulsa athletic dorm, somehow overcoming the formidable sanitary standard those three words imply. And 15 of Tulsa's 22 starters were shivering feverish wrecks. They tried to act energetic, but they were so weak, Tulsa coach Glenn Dobbs remembered in 1985. My sons, Glenn III and John, were on the team. Their eyes were glazed with fever. The team, <laughs> the team doctor pleaded with the coach to call off the game, but Dobbs, a former Tulsa star who, because the world just does whatever it wants, had been an icon for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the Canadian Football League, refused to surrender. I just never liked backing out, he said afterward. Tulsa had two defensive linemen who were well enough, uh, enough to travel. One of them passed out before the coin flip. So, this game is a fucking disaster from the beginning. I love this shit so much. Oh, this it's is so the- good. Finally, a sports movie for me. Yeah, that is everyone's just so puking and shitting to death. Yeah. <laughs> also, someone named Glenn the Third is involved. Like, just the oh. funniest fucking thing. Passing out before the game starts. Oh, that is just and kudos gorgeous. to the Grantland writer. It's a very entertaining article. Uh, Grantland, I miss Grantland. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the first quarter, Phil's team was down fourteen to zero, which is a significant. Like, they're getting. It's not a great start to a game but it's not insurmountable however by the end of the game they were down by a record breaking 100 points to 6 oh my <laughs> jesus did phil get any of the points no i don't believe so <laughs> not at all um i think it's one of the greatest ass kickings in college ball history wow. um That's like in wonderful. the entire history of the sport like dr phil's team got their asses beat almost the worst way to lose <laughs> phil yeah it's like a famously a famous ass kicking <laughs> 
So it does like several rounds of like going back to being sad and then going back to being funny and then going back to being sad and then going yeah. and finally landing on being the funniest shit I've ever it's, heard. It's incredibly funny. Um, so Dr. Phil brags about this game, game today, saying that it and that football in general helped awaken in him an interest in psychology by teaching him that people with advantages don't always win. That said, the author of that Grantland article takes pains to point out that there is actually no evidence whatsoever that Phil played in this game. And the oh. fact that do exist from this time make it seem kind of unlikely. I don't know how to, like, it was far enough back that there's not any comprehensive way to know for sure, really. Um, but the doubt thrown onto it by this investigation might mean that as a grown-ass multi-millionaire, Dr. Phil lied to David Letterman about playing in one of the worst ass-kickings in sports history, and I have no idea what this says about him. Like, I don't even know how to analyze that. <laughs> There are so many levels there. Because yeah. like, if he did play in it, you're like, oh, what a... Yeah, okay, that's fun. Yeah, you like, I can see, like, if I was, if I, if I played in, if I partook in a famous ass kicking in a sports history, I would brag about that as an adult. It would be funny, you know? That's you get fun. enough distance from it, sure. Lying about it, though. Lying that's... about it is baffling. <laughs> Yeah. What is that's like a game of 4D chess I can barely conceive yeah, of. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with the with Doctor Phil, but um, <laughs> and for the most part, I do know what's going on with him. This is just baffling to me because he's clearly yeah. a narcissist. It's very strange as a narcissist to lie about this, you know? To lie about one of the greatest failures. Yeah, to just to lie about just getting just like fame historically wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> anything for clout, baby. Anything for <laughs> clout fucking by clout. Any means. Speaking of clout, you know who has all of my clout, Jamie? <gasps> Does it happen to be a product or maybe even a service? It is the products and services that support this podcast. I sacrifice all of my clout to them, like members of the ancient cult of the old ones sacrifice virgin babies to mm -hmm. Nyarlothep, the crawling chaos. Much like that, yeah. here's some ads for dick pills. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. We're back. Uh, we're back. We're back. Worshipping the old gods, I don't know, might deliver up some of my bodily fluids to a shagoth later who knows who knows we're talking about dr phil anything can happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyways after this at some point i don't know the exact year but at some point pretty soon after this disastrous game because phil was definitely on the team at some Mm -hmm. point after this phil had another sports disaster he went in to tackle a running back and he got hit really hard um and i don't mean just like you know, sprained something. I mean, he woke up blind. (laughs) Oh my God. The kind of head injury where when you come to your eyes don't work, which is medically speaking bad. (laughs) No, it shouldn't be allowed. It absolutely like, I don't know. I think adults should, I think if you're like 22 and older, you should be allowed to play football, but certainly 18 year olds should not be, nor should they be allowed to join the military, by the way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, uh, He still, yeah, it, it was, the head injury was bad enough. His his eyesight came back, obviously, but it was a serious head injury. Um, And it ended, yeah. ended, there was no chance of him continuing his career after that, right? Like, it's one of those things where, yeah. like, you don't get to ever play football again because you get hit in the head one more time. That might be fucking it for you, you know? Right. Um, once his eyesight, yeah, and he still suffers. Like, he's, there's after effects of this today. Like, it's, it's a, a lifelong ball. injury. Um, he got really messed football. up. It's a bad thing it. to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. 
Um, once his sight came back, Phil returned to Wichita Falls to heal and to plot his next move. He decided to put his college education on hold now that he couldn't do a football scholarship. Uh, and he decided, you know, the thing to do now, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about college later. I'm gonna make some money now, right? Which is not an unreasonable call to make in the situation. Um, and I'm gonna quote from a write-up in the Dallas Observer. He worked at a health club selling memberships and wound up owning a partnership interest in that club and a half dozen others. That was typical of the way he did things, says Scott Madsen, who went into the building business with his future brother-in-law. He is the smartest guy I ever met, a born leader. Even at a young age, he had the insight to figure out how things work. Others took a more damnable view of his business practices. I didn't know of anyone who had a business deal with Phil at the time who felt they came out on top, says David Dickinson, a former friend of McGraw's from Wichita Falls. It's like playing golf from someone who moves the ball around all the time. So how young is he when he gets into business? It's he's like, like, right he's out like of maybe 20 at the most, like 19 wow. or 20. And okay. very quickly, he's a part earn, becomes a part owner in the sports club he's working at, becomes part owner in like a half dozen other clubs. Like he's so he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a degree yet of any kind. No, but he's clearly very good at it's the, specifically the thing that Phil is objectively one of the best people in the world at is negotiating. Yeah, like he is right. a terrifying negotiator. I, I haven't run into any disagreement about that. He's got all yeah. the grift. He's got all the like the strong yeah. traits grifters have. Yeah, yeah. and he's he's very good at um at, at negotiating in a legal manner, which is a separate skill just from grifting. You know, and is honestly yeah, like yeah. the best right. kind of grifting because you can't get in trouble for that shit. Yeah, yeah. If he's willing to go into this game that young, that's so his brain. Uh, he's he's just he's wired for it. You know. Or at least maybe with a football injury, scrambled his wires and made him wired for it. I don't know. His reality is stressing me out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's triggering my fl- my fight or flight response. This is good. Feeling good. Yeah, that's how Dr. Phil works. He really, yeah. really triggers a lot of, a lot of responses. Yeah. Um, now, the article notes that when you interview, that Dallas Observer article notes that when you interview a bunch of people who have known Dr. Phil over the course of decades, you tend to get two very different pictures of the man. One mm-hmm. from the people who like him is of an incredibly gifted expert in practical psychology who has a passion for helping people. And? The other picture you get of Dr. Phil is a, quote, charismatic opportunist who achieved great things by betraying the people closest to him in order to make a quick buck. One of these spurned former friends is Eldon Buck, who claimed to the Observer, I put Phil in a couple of oil field deals, and everyone pays me but him. Phil is a smart, smart, smart son of a bitch, but he's only out for one thing, and that's Phil. Now, Phil denies all of this, but it is worth noting, as we've just heard, that Buck is not the only person with allegations like this against him. He's not even just one of two, but we're going to get to that story in due time. So, so he's also involved in, in oil fields down the yeah, line? Yeah, in anything that'll Jeez. make him money. Like, this is, like, okay. kind of all happening over a period of a couple of years. He's just, he starts making money, and he immediately reinvests that money. He's in a bunch of businesses. You know, I have a, I have a good, a very, very mm-hmm. close friend who has that kind of brain, who's just always spinning off their money into one business or another. And I don't know how they do it, but they just are able to keep track of the, like the fact that like I've I've got an investment in this business and through that business I have an investment in this business and an interest in these other three businesses and those give me an interest in this and like this is how all of that like I don't I don't understand it but like it's kind of like being an engineer you know some people yeah. have the kind of brain where you can open up like a fucking uh, HVAC system or or like the flight control system on an airplane and know what all of the little cords and all of the lights go and do and how to how to how to work all of that. Some people have a brain that allows them to just business, you know? 
I yeah. respect people who use it for good, but yes. holy shit, what an exhausting yeah. sounding. It 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 like. sounds like a nightmare. Um, I yeah, keep yeah. all of my money in a pile. Um, and I I will never <laughs> have investments. <laughs> like I of will never like I keep it in a bank. But like I have no I have no investments and never will because the idea of investing money is terrifying to me and makes me want to huddle around a fire with a spear and stab outsiders. I spent my all my savings on Dilbert NFTs. Well, that's gonna that's gonna feeling. appreciate. You know, Jamie. I got a good feeling. <laughs> it's the only thing they're not making any more of. <laughs> There's, yeah. That's a real thing. They the the you know the Tashi Dilbert guy um, made Dilbert NFTs, and the only difference from a regular Dilbert is that he says "fuck" in this one. And someone oh paid shit! Too much money. Anyways, I, I would pay I good that. money for a Dilbert NFT where he admits responsibility for the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh my god. <laughs> I think that would be a good NFT. If you're listening, Scott Adams, I'll invest in that one. Dilbert Dilbert I... admits to making a 6,000-pound fertilizer bomb and parking it out in front of the Murrah building. That's the NFT I want. I can guarantee that Kathy Geiswick, creator of Kathy Comics, does not know nor care what an M- NFT is. And that's why she is she is really, she she's my strength in this world. Stan Kathy. Stan mm-hmm. Kathy. Stan, Kathy. You know who else I stan, Jamie? <laughs> no one. That was like, it's not time for an ad pivot. He loves, to, say it's so he loves to do the like fake ad thing and then he thinks I, about I can't it and help then he's it. like, I, I can't, can't stop myself. He's just so good at it. I mean, you know who I actually stan, who I have an unreasonable uh, uh, affection for and LeVar can't be convinced Burton. otherwise. No, no. I think I, I think I have a reasonable love of LeVar Burton, as everyone does, right? It's sure, like a capybara. Yes, I mean, you know, it's like yeah. loving a capybara, like it's LeVar Burton, of course. No, um, Werner Herzog. Herzog is my my uh, unreasonable love. Um, Robert, I would love, you should start making Werner Herzog um, band camps. I don't know what that means, Jamie. <gasps> I'm going to make one of you and you're going to be horrified. If there, I wonder if Robert fan cams exist. Listeners, I do, what the fuck is a, a fan cam? <laughs> it's, how do I describe a fan cam? It's usually like, it's uh, it's a short video made on an app. I don't know what the app is, but it's just a series of clips of you, and they have they put a glittery filter over it, and there's like a cute song on in the background. I don't think there's a lot of video of me where like you can actually see me. Um, so that might be hard to do. Robert, thankfully. you would you um, would absolutely hate it, my friend. I know I would. There's enough video footage of you for a fan cam. You need like three clips. Well, all. All I'm interested of is a fan cam of Werner Herzog diving into a bunch of cactuses because he promised a group of little people that if they made it through the filming of a movie without injury, he would horribly hurt himself by diving into a bed of saguaros from 12 feet up. Is that true? Yeah, he absolutely did it. And they begged him not to. They were like, please don't do this. Like, we don't want you to hurt yourself. And he said, I made a promise. And if I don't fulfill my promise, there's no reason for me to be alive. And then he dove into a pile of cactuses because he's a fucking lunatic. And I love him so much. Wow. Okay, Werner. <laughs> oh, Werner Herzog. Um, watch a Gwir, The Wrath of God. So uh, Dr. Phil, Robert? Mm-hmm. Dr. Phil. Yeah, sorry. We're... 
whew, off, off the topic a little bit. Mm-hmm. So after three years as a business slash con man, Phil McGraw decided to return to the education system to study psychology. He started off at Midwestern University in Wichita Falls, where his father had gone, and then transferred to the University of North Texas, which is where the people who gave me huge amounts of drugs went to school. I don't think Phil spent his time half a mile outside of campus downing 100 milligrams of 2CI and 15 to 20 milligrams of 5-MeO-MIPT uh, and vaporizing DMT, which is probably why he graduated UNT with a PhD, while my friends and I all dropped out of college uh, to go, you know, do stupid shit. Um, anyway. Punk rock. Yeah, Dr. Phil's not fucking <laughs> punk enough. No, he's not. Um, in his recollection, Phil both hated and excelled at college. He later recalled, I almost quit every day. The faculty just jacked with you all the time. I remember telling one professor, either kick me out or get off my ass. (laughs) He did succeed in impressing other professors, though. His mentor at UNT was Dr. G. Frank Lawless, who still considers Dr. Phil, quote, by far the most brilliant psychologist I ever worked with, Mm. which is meaningful praise. But also we are talking UNT here. You know, we're not talking like one of the famous psychology schools in in the country. So. Not not a a nothing compliment, but not like a doctor, not like people saying Dr. Oz is the best heart surgeon ever, you know, because that motherfucker's working at Columbia, right? They know from heart surgery. Right. Okay. I I don't know. I'm not not, not throwing shade at Frank Lawless. I'm just saying I don't think Dr. Phil is the most brilliant psychologist ever to exist. (laughs) I haven't haven't gotten past the fact that Frank Lawless sounds like a made up person. That sounds like a cartoon character. I am assuming he's Xena's father. Um, (laughs) So McGraw got his doctorate in 1979 and returned to Wichita Falls for reasons that are impossible to explain. Any any person who returns to Kansas, I just don't I don't understand. Uh, He started a business partnership with his dad and together the two veered their practice towards treating the mental ailments of the rich and socially prominent circulating among country clubs to cater to doctors, lawyers, bankers and their wives. One of Dr. Phil's, uh, Phil's friends later claimed, quote, Phil moved right into the money circles. If there wasn't a buck in it, he wasn't much interested. Mm. So, you know, that's that's the that's the the field he gets into is is dealing with like rich people who are uh, neurotic or whatever. Okay, so he comes to being a charlatan early. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, at this point, again, if you're grifting rich people, I don't care. Who cares? Um, yeah. Sometimes I might find it interesting for an off week, but I don't consider that evil behavior, right? They have too much money, whatever. Uh, He specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy, which Phil at least claimed was a cause and effect therapy that treated thoughts and behavior the same. Quote, people would come in and say, I had a hard childhood. Therefore, I am not doing well as an adult. A Freudian would say, let's work through your childhood. I would say, that's fine. But right now you are an adult. You have a choice to stop yelling at your kids. I've done I've done CBT. Yeah, that's not that doesn't sound bad, right? Like that is a reasonable take, which is like, okay, it's fine to like, you know, work through a difficult childhood, but you can't be shitty to your kids just because you had a bad childhood. Reasonable statement. Past trauma doesn't excuse current bad behavior. Perfectly valid statement. Absolutely. Um, And this kind of no nonsense approach was very popular with some of his clients. I I can see how it would have been useful in a number of cases. But Dr. Phil himself admits that he was, quote, probably the worst marital therapist in the history of the world. I was teaching (laughs) what they taught me, but I was real impatient. Everybody was getting divorced. The way he relates it, realizing the shortcomings of his education convinced Phil to seek out less traditional ways to practice his profession and to market it. And I should note here as an aside that during this period, Dr. Phil got married uh, and was briefly with a woman before cheating on her repeatedly and uh, then leaving her. Oh. Yeah. So 
Anyway. Well, maybe he should have been a little more patient. Maybe he should have taken some of his own medicine. Yeah, I mean, he... He does. I mean, to be fair, he admits he was a bad marriage therapist, so I can't call him like a hypocrite. If you're saying I was a sh- I, I was a shitty husband and a shitty marriage therapist, that all scans, right. you know, like <laughs> <laughs> um, that's I, yeah, he's being honest here, so we won't belabor the point. OK, yeah, he started holding pain clinics, weight loss clinics and executive giving executive recruiting advice and even expert legal testimony for court cases. He was like an expert Whoa. witness. Yeah, for and this what? is like for court cases, right? Like, like you need someone to come and, you know, you have like somebody who's claiming like, oh, you know, I can't be held responsible for this because I'm, I, you know, like mentally ill or whatever. Like, you know, not guilty by reason of insanity. He comes in and he's like, yes, that's valid or no, that's not valid, depending on who pays him, you know? So just a general mental health professional. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of we just we just finished the Chauvin trial. You know, we had all these kind of use of force experts. There's a bunch of people in different fields whose main job is to take that that expertise in another field and testify about it in court because it's relevant. Right. You have like engineering specialists who are like, I'm going to go testify about this bridge that collapsed to either defend the people who made it or explain how irresponsible they were, whatever. Like that's a whole. Yeah. There's a whole industry. Dr. Phil gets into the yeah, providing like, there's a expert. lot of money in that industry. Too. There's a yeah. fuckload of you can get real goddamn rich doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially if you're willing to lie about oh, your area yeah. of expertise. Yeah. And uh, by the way, lawyers listening, I will testify as an expert witness on literally anything as a certified reverend doctor in the state of New Jersey. My purview is wide. <laughs> so, you know what? Twelve grand an hour the podcast is just going to disappear one day and it's oh the, the instant i'm days. i'm fucking done you know like <laughs> fuck fuck this podcast i'm going to go lie under oath about i don't know whatever anyway um dr phil started yeah uh holding you know he, so he start he gets into like the whole the business of if i really want to make money at scale as a psychologist having individual even if they're rich individual clients isn't the thing to do i'm going to do a bunch of clinics on like dealing with pain dealing with weight loss you know recruiting people i'll, I'll do like so he gets very quickly into the i'm less about helping people and more about making money as a psychologist okay in 1984 he meets thelma box an insurance and real estate agent from graham texas who asked him to go into business with her to create a brand new motivational seminar now we're talking again like the 70s 80s which is the golden age of motivational seminars that's when this whole thing really explodes motivational seminars are basically short-term cults for two to five days uh several dozen to several hundred to sometimes even a couple of thousand people will pack into an auditorium where a charismatic frontman and a handful of his buddies will coach them usually by hyping the room up using simple crowd work tactics to make people feel temporarily elated and tricking them into having like cathartic experiences and thinking they've learned something you know yeah um that's the whole idea have people get like people the mania of a crowd kind of going make people cry or laugh and think like something significant has happened ask probing personal questions yes yeah yes. Yeah, yeah in public in front of a bunch of people it's a whole yeah. big grift yeah Thelma box was a well i don't know grift i think a lot of people just like them i've known people who like admit that they did, never got anything long term out of it but just enjoy the experience and i guess if that's your thing it kind of depends. Whatever. Yeah, like yeah. some people are just like they're like, yeah, I know Tony. Well, Tony Robbins is maybe not the best example, but like I know no, this person's no. like 
basically full of shit. But, but you know, I, I had a couple hundred dollars to burn and a weekend to burn, and fuck. it made me feel good. You know, I don't care. Yeah. I guess if that's your thing, we all have take joy where you can get it. Yeah, every there's a lot of people who like to. There's people who like to climb the ice filled sides of mountains with crampons and fucking like pythons and stuff, and a lot of them die. There's people who like to do cave diving, which is the deadliest there's- thing you could possibly do. <laughs> To relax. So, like, I, I don't know. People do shit. I don't care. Um, but most of the people doing these seminars are actually, like, people at some kind of, like, crisis point in their life yes. having a difficulty. And that that's that's the problem with it. And it's, like, it depends on how you sell it, too. Like, if you're, yes. like, promising, oh, if you come this weekend, you're going to leave and make a million dollars in the next, you know, that. that. Yeah. There's varying degrees of bullshit. There's varying degrees. Some of them are just like, I'm going to make you feel good about yourself so you can go out and attack the world. And I guess that's kind right. of less problematic where it's like, okay, like whatever, you know, it's basically expensive good church. Luck. Okay. Yeah. Like you will yeah. not make me not hate myself, friend. <laughs> Better men than you have tried. <laughs> so uh, Thelma Box, um, who, you know, is Phil's friend, is a huge fan of these kind of motivational seminars. She'd done all the big ones. Zig Ziglar, actual guy out there. Uh, you can find his books at any given estate sale. Uh, Dale Carnegie, you can also find his books at any given estate sale. Uh, Tony Robbins, you can also find his books at any given estate sale. All the estate sale greats. She does their seminars. Uh, with like boogers on the side of the books, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of her classes had been focused on uh, her career. Like they'd been like focused on helping salesmen, right? Because that's a big subset of this industry. She sold insurance and real estate. So they'd been conferences to help real estate and insurance salesmen sell better. Uh, Mm -hmm. Box felt that there was a market for a seminar focused instead of financial stuff on personal growth, on how to actually be a better person. Now, Box had gotten to know Dr. Phil because her son had hired him to renegotiate a bunch of bank loans. She decided Phil was the best negotiator she'd ever seen. Quote, he has a God-given gift, a combination of charm and charisma that can mesmerize a room full of people. And again, people who disagree about a lot of stuff about Dr. Phil, nobody disagrees about this part. He's apparently just an incredible negotiator. Um, so she, she decides he's going to be a great front man for this life improvement seminar she wants to host. Now, her initial plan had been to lead a success seminar for single women, but McGraw pushed back against this. He didn't want to limit himself to just female customers. Instead, the, uh, the plan that he made was for, bo- or instead he was like, we should do like a general, like life improvement for everybody. Like come here and I'll, I'll help you deal with whatever things are holding you back in your life. Right. Like that's kind of the, how Pil- Phil innovates the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. now initially the plan that box had fronted was for box and Phil to be 50, 50 partners in this venture. But right Ooh, before they started going, lasts. yeah, exactly. Right before they started going, Dr. Phil demanded that he was going to walk if she didn't bring his dad in as an equal shareholder. Um, Ooh, yeah, bringing daddy into it. Yeah, okay, and this bold. this was a negotiation tactic from Box. Yeah. Quote: Getting his dad involved would give Phil control. I didn't want to be a minority owner, but he threatened to do the seminars without me. Now, since Box was not a doctor and she'd already given Phil all of her ideas, she didn't feel like she could do the seminar without him, but he could do it without her. So she was kind of in a tight spot here. So she agreed. She claims that she basically. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, he's this, the guy he is. She claims wow. she built the, um, the, the curriculum of the program from the ground up, designing most of the games and all of like the different like worksheets and shit you had to do. And basically, mm-hmm. in fairness, like I don't think Box is a great person. She's taking all of the no. information for this from other seminars she attended and is just modifying them enough to avoid so you're plagiarism. Grifting the grifter and the grifter never likes that. Yeah. She gets fucked over by Phil, but like, I don't, 
particularly like her either. So <laughs> I want to take that negotiation tactic and, and apply it to the stand-up comedy world. And I'm like, all right, I know that you're supposed to be featuring for me, but actually my dad is going to be opening now. Mm-hmm. And so you're actually, mm-hmm. so it's going to be my dad. Then you, you'll be doing a shorter set. I will then be doing five hours. Like that's, <laughs> oh, that'd be so fun. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that for you, Jamie. Thank you. But you know what isn't exciting? <laughs> what isn't exciting? Life without the products and services that support this podcast. Mm, absolutely. Empty. Uh, not even really worth living. Like if we're being frank, what are you even doing without these products and services? What are you? Nothing. Nothing. All right. Here's ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues 
pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. We're back. Uh, I hope you all spent money because this whole fucking wheel of blood doesn't keep turning if you don't put money into it, people. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. That's how it works. Fine. Well, you want this to fall apart? No. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, the basic idea of these seminars that Box mostly cooks up and Phil is supposed to present is to teach people how to find out what they want from life by making them more accountable, by expressing vulnerability, stripping away self-deception, which all just means like making people cry in a big room surrounded by other people, you know? Like, that's uh, right, the goal. Right. That That's the goal. Yeah. With no connection to the outside world and you yes. gaslight them into believing something that they don't. Short-term cults, which is the kind of cult I'd like to do because it does sound exhausting having to like every time I watch my favorite TV show, which is the Waco TV show where they made David Koresh have incredible cum gutters. 50 minutes, 40 seconds before editing. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> before Waco. I just it it seems like it's exhausting. Like we all love yeah. David Koresh, but my God, the man had to put in a lot of work just to just to keep a cult going. Like it just doesn't seem worth it. Where to begin with that sentence? Short-term cults. Like, if I could just do, like, a limited Waco, like, five or six times a year over the course of, like, four days, that seems much better. It's like a juicing. Yeah, it's a juicing of the spirit. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. You're just left, like, you feel like you're better off. You're probably not. It doesn't yeah. matter because you can sleep for three days. Yeah. Sophie, take out take down a podcast idea, uh, the 40-minute Waco. I think we could make <laughs> a lot of money with this. Um, anyway, back to Dr. <laughs> Phil. So... What made the uh, this this seminar thing that he launches with Box special is the the group dynamic. Um, getting a hundred or so people together in a room, crying and sharing stories, and having the kind of addictive, cathartic experiences that make seminar hosts rich people. Mm -hmm. Phil and Box were good at it, and Doctor Phil instantly gained a reputation as a magnetic host. One attendee recalled, "Quote: His voice was mic'd, and he sounded godlike. I watched powerful men crumble as he questioned them. He knew just the right buttons to push." Wow. You know, it's not that he's a great psychologist, it's that he is an incredibly intuitive man who understands people, which is why he's a good negotiator. He does have a great voice. I'll give that to him. He does. Oh, yes. Yeah. He knows how to manipulate people, right? He's a great manipulator and that you could make a lot of money doing that. That's the most like dangerous trade in the world is uh, understanding people, but just not caring what happens to them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I understand people, but care about what happens to them, which is why I tell them to buy machetes and bolt cutters. <laughs> and You're claim more anti-personnel minds. Yes, definitely saving lives. Um, by the way, when you're ordering your Claymore anti-personnel line, use promo code BASTARDS for 15% off if you buy four or more. Claymore, wow. fuck Robert. anyone in front of you. What? No. <laughs> Sophie. Robert, doc, get Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Okay, yeah. 
So the seminar series was called Pathways, and it became hugely popular. For a while, they were making fucking bank. And the whole process of doing this awoke in Phil, or at least accelerated, a deep desire to get on TV. He started pushing for his own talk talk show, schmoozing with a Hollywood producer who made the mistake of attending one of his seminars. Phil succeeded in talking said producer into filming a pilot episode of a show where three people went through Dr. Phil's training and told their stories of, like, you know, how it had helped them. The show sounds incredibly boring, and clearly it was not picked up. Now, over his years with Pathways, McGraw developed into a talented showman. One of his co-workers, David Dickinson, later recalled, Once he got in front of the room, it didn't take long to feel the power. He loved being godlike and worshipped. The only reason it didn't become a cult is because Thelma wouldn't let it. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. He yeah. really does sound like uh, like Chaos Frazier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chaos Frazier, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Phil was on <laughs> Frazier. For all you Frazier heads, Dr. Oh, Phil was God, you're right, on he was. the show, the episode The Devil and Dr. Phil. I mean, it, the thing is, if you actually, <laughs> Frasier was a big show for my family growing up. And so, like, while my mom was was dying, we watched a lot of episodes because, you know, there wasn't a lot that she could do. And it was kind of a thing that That's was nostalgic so for all of us. Um, yeah. But one of the through lines of the series is that Frasier's not a good psychologist. Like not a good psychiatrist. Like he's bad. That's at, why he's like that's radio. why he's on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> he's a I bit of a Niles grifter too. More, yeah, Niles, Niles is supposed to be good. good. Yeah, job. yeah, Niles yeah. is competent. Um, <laughs> although problematic. Uh, definitely some sure. stalking behavior from Niles. Um, oh yes, Niles is yes. also canceled. But oh, but. Nobody on that show is a good person, but John Mahoney, um, the <gasps> only good cop, Fraser's dad. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true, and not even not even Eddie is safe from no no from no. cancellation. And from honestly, cancellation. Ju- not a good a cop. John Mahoney admits to lying on the stand in order to get a man incarcerated during an episode of Fraser. It's just like an offside really? comment. Yes, he absolutely does. <laughs> I forgot that. He's just such a damn charismatic actor. I can't stay mad at the man. Um, So by the late 1980s, Pathways had moved to Dallas, where each year more than a thousand people would pay a thousand dollars each to attend a single weekend event with McGraw. That's a million bucks in a weekend. So again, great money in this. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Dr. Phil is, I don't know if he's a millionaire at this point, but he is well off at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, unfortunately, like his dad is involved in the whole thing. And Dr. Phil never had a great relationship with his father. I think he was just mm-hmm. kind of using him to get control of the thing. But like he and his dad don't get along. They're both egomaniacs. And to make matters worse, the older Dr. McGraw was basically just kind of like there to cash a check. Like when he would show up on stage, you'd oh, yeah. be like erratic and kind of say nonsense and and not really help uh, the business at all. Uh, so the, worse than nothing. Worse than nothing. The right. two men started to hate each other, uh, which a number, number of employees noted as somewhat hypocritical. Quote, come on, here is a guy who was running a relationship seminar and he doesn't speak to his own father in the training room for years. He didn't <laughs> ta- walk his own talk. That is a fair <laughs> hypocritical fair, criticism. Fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious, though. And while Dr. Phil's relationship with his dad uh, kind of went to shit, his relationship with Thelma Box, who had founded the program that made him rich and developed its curriculum, got even mm. worse. The Dallas Observer writes, quote, 
Though McGraw and Box were partners for more than seven years and friends for more than a dozen, his treatment of her didn't seem much better. On November 16, 1992, Box received a faxed memo from McGraw informing her that he had made a tentative deal to sell his interest in Pathways to Midland philanthropist Steve Davidson. McGraw was ready to move on, his father ready to retire. That's why his father had sold his one-third interest, the memo informed her, to a Wichita Falls businessman. Of course, the new partners, quote, understand yours and my relationship and know that I am committed to you as a friend and associate and expect fair treatment. Basically, he sold me down the river, says Box, who recalls having heated discussions with McGraw about either selling her own Pathways interest or buying him out in the two weeks prior to the memo. Phil and I hadn't been getting along. He stopped talking to me, and I knew we couldn't go on that way. What he had neglected to tell her, she says, is that he had engineered this corporate takeover scheme by actually selling his interest more than a year earlier. On October 15th, 1991, he signed an agreement for his sale of path for the sale of his pathway stock for $325,000. I absolutely okay. told her I was selling, McGraw says. What she didn't like was who I was selling to. Okay. Now, you can take whoever's word you want on this, but the author of that article was giving a memo was given a memo that McGraw sent to the buyer of his stock in which he agreed the buyer agreed that the sale would be kept confident confidential from everyone, including box. So I'm going to go ahead and say that huh. Phil is the liar here. He basically knew yeah, like he wanted to sell out early when his stuff was worth more than hers would be like with with uh, only a third of it left her like they, she's not going to get as much money for it. Um, mm-hmm. And he lies. She keeps she's trying to buy it from him for a year after he's already sold it and he's just stonewalling her um like okay. he's yeah it's 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 a shitty way to treat a business partner it, it absolutely is yeah it's like it's hard to care about anyone involved in this this whole situation but he does yes. sound like the party who wronged her yeah and he acknowledges that the material from his first best-selling book was basically lifted entirely from the pathways curriculum but he has Ooh. never acknowledged that thelma box actually wrote the curriculum he based his best-selling book on so and they definitely didn't mention whoever Thelma Box stole it from. So no, no, <laughs> and that again, that's the thing. Like, right? The point is that he is a con man, not that she is particularly a victim here. You know, right. it's like I don't yeah. care about Thelma Box. In 1989, Doctor Phil was living and working in Wichita. He keeps going back to fucking Kansas, enjoying his Pathways money and working as a psychologist. One of his patients was a young woman who he started and maintained a quote inappropriate dual relationship with. Again, Ooh, wait, that means dual. Yeah, he is her. He is her doctor, and he oh. is fucking her. Oh, don't yep. fuck your doctor! Come on. Yeah, shouldn't be doing that with the patient you're providing psychiatric care to. Definitely don't fuck. Kind your of patient. a no no. But also, don't fuck your doctor. He then made the relationship even more inappropriate when he hired her part time while she was still his patient and lover, which is so many conflicts of interest. <laughs> like, no, that is. I, yeah, 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 I, you okay. got to give the man credit for really going out of his way to 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 do the most unethical version of that thing he could. Like, you're right, Robert. I do got to hand it to yeah, him. Critical support to Doctor Phil for managing not. the fucking. The fucking, I don't know, what do you, the trifecta, I guess. I will so, not. My spirit is worn down. I'll hand mm-hmm. it to him. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Phil considers this transgression to just have been a misdemeanor. Um, but the journalist from the doubt da- behind the, uh, the journalist who wrote that Dallas Observer article looked into the situation. He found the woman Dr. Phil had the relationship with, and he found out a lot more besides, and it's pretty fucking sketchy. Quote, In 1984, she was a college student returning home after her sophomore year depressed, lonely, and suicidal. I was emotionally abused as a child, she says, and suffered from low self-esteem. 
When McGraw began treating her, she says, he became fully involved in her life, demanding to know with whom she spoke, when she went to bed at night, what she did that day. If I was depressed or anxious, his first question was, why didn't you call me? Every time I felt bad, he insisted only he could fix me. When she wanted to spend the following summer working for a professor at the Houston University she was attending, he persuaded her to work in his biofeedback lab in Wichita Falls. He kept me totally dependent on him, she says. So that's textbook abuse. Like, that's just, like, literally textbook abuse. Yeah. 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 Couldn't be clearer. Hate it. I hate it so much. On so many levels, too. Yeah. Like, on multiple levels. God, that's fucking terrible. It's, it's really bad. It's really, um, he's a bad person, Jamie. He's and just he's a real bad person. And he's your employer. Like, fucking hell. Not to be, prov- like, complimenting Dr. Oz, but by this point in the Dr. Oz story, he's performed thousands of open heart surgeries. Again, Dr. Phil, they're both grifters. Dr. Phil never does a single good thing like to, to, to even the scales at all. He's just a monster. Oh. Right. And you get the feeling, Dr. Oz, I, I have never heard a complaint that he's abusive in his personal relationships. People mostly I've heard reports that he's kind of a narcissist, but I've never heard that he's like a monster. Dr. Phil's a monster. Jeez, you know, make a fan cam of him already. I don't know. I'm just he's a useful. He's a useful comparison. I, I just really hate Dr. Phil. <laughs> yes. So the formal complaint this woman filed led to a decision from the psychology board uh, that Dr. Phil's practice would have to be supervised for a year. Mm. Before that time came up, he quit his practice and moved to Dallas to start a new company, Courtroom uh, Sciences Incorporated, or CSI, with his neighbor from Wichita. His job was basically to use his psychology knowledge to help lawyers pick jurors. He loved the work, particularly the adrenaline that came from the high stakes of a court case. Mm. Dr. Phil's company was a hit, and his clients soon included every major airline on Earth, three TV networks, and dozens of Fortune 500 companies. Before long, it came to include Oprah Winfrey God as damn well. it, Oprah! No! Yeah. I, I mean, like, you know it's coming, but you I know it's coming. it took longer. Why Oprah and airlines? Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, the two, the two sacred things in our society, Oprah and the airlines. I want to know, every single time Oprah comes into the discussion, I, I am like, where was Stedman on all of this? Where does he? Cause Stedman, yes, Stedman, what were you fucking doing? Stedman, where because Stedman writes books that are alleging to be about something, but are actually about nothing. But he's but he's nice, so I don't care. Yeah, uh, I, I hope care I hope either. that Stedman was like something's not right, Oprah, and she was like, I'm I'm not listening to you, Stedman. I'm assuming that's how their relationship works. She was like, I'm going to make so much money, an outrageous amount of money, Stedman. Stedman, like, quiet. We're getting a yacht. I will be able to clone you when you die, Stedman. That's how much money I'm going to make oh, off maybe this man. that's what solved him. I, yeah. used to dr- I used to do little fan drawings of Stedman, Graham, and um, the, the Barefoot Contessa's husband hanging mm. out. <laughs> that's very unsettling, Jamie. <laughs> they would just be like sharing an umbrella. Anyways. So... Oprah had made the questionable decision uh, to do an episode of her show on the dangers of disease in the American beef supply. A bunch of Texas cattlemen sued her for fraud, defamation, and, you know, just hurting their businesses. Now, I have no idea who's in the right here, and I really don't care. The case looked like to be going badly for Oprah until she brought in Dr. Phil to be a part of her trial team. He instantly recognized her as someone he could make money off of, and he set to work charming her. 
Phil did his job. He coached her and the defense team in how to respond under questioning, and he won Oprah's adoration. And to his credit, it seems like he did a good job because she was exonerated. Oh, wow. Um, and after the case ended in her favor, she did a verdict episode of her show from Amarillo, Texas, where for the first time, she introduced Dr. Phil McGraw to a national audience. She called him one of the smartest men in the world. She was so impressed that she added that he was this, like literally the most intelligent man she'd met in her 12 years of talking to medical experts. She said she wanted to share his brilliance with the world. Yeah. This hyperbole is going to get And ya. we are we are going to talk about where this hyperbole gets all of us in part <laughs> two of our epic series, Dr. Phil. What a what a dick. What a, <laughs> is that the <laughs> subtitle of this? Yep. Perfect. Fuck fucking A, Dr. Phil. Fucking Come on. Hell. Sir, You're a dick. Could you not? Could you not? Could you just go back to football? I feel like one more head injury could really solve a lot of our problems as a country. That's the thing is like that every single time you're like, well, goddamn, I bet that if this whole football thing had gone different, uh, the world would be a lot less Dr. Phil. Yeah, yeah. I don't even necessarily want his football career to have gone well if he just gotten hit 20% harder, you know, <laughs> that that would have been enough for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what? You, I, I, I see. I see your point of view. Yeah. Anyway. Jamie, you got any pluggables you want to drop? Uh, yeah, just the usuals. You can uh, listen to Bechdel Cast, the Beta Podcast, and My Year in Mensa on iHeartRadio. And then I have a new podcast coming up about Kathy Comics whoop, whoop. in June that Sophie's producing. I'm excited. Check out Jamie's erotic Kathy podcast. I assume it's erotic. Is that correct? Act. No. I mean, it, act. it's very, you know what? I, I, admit, I, you know, I wish that Kathy was having a lot of sex, but you can't do that in the newspapers. Not then. I mean, it doesn't. She doesn't need to be having sex for the podcast about Kathy to just be like oh, the fundamental. The fundamental eros of Kathy is so overwhelming. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you just you just hear There's that last time. name Gus White and. Oof. There's still time. There's still There's time. There's still time. I'll, 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 I'll let her know. That fix it in post. Going to be an erotic podcast. <laughs> Can you make it hornier, Kathy? Just like 12%. Anyway, <laughs> I hope the rest of you have a day that's 12% hornier. We'll be back Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.